The message you're about to listen to is produced by the Trans Edge Church. We believe you will be blessed and changed by it. The Trans Edge change is inevitable. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We praise you, God. We honor you, God. To you who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb, we praise you. And this morning, you will use this opportunity to speak to our hearts. To bring your word through. To speak to our season. To speak to your personality in us. Change our mindset. Give us direction. Cause us to see your way. Cause us to perceive things the way you will perceive them. We praise you, we honor you. And Father, for me, God, I empty myself and I ask you to use me this morning. I do not trust in my own knowledge or understand, but I trust in your Holy Spirit who is able to do exceeding and abundantly through me. Father, I ask, speak through me this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to speak on a topic that I titled, The Compelling Invitation. The Compelling Invitation. And the subtitle to that message is, How Do You Do Your Part? Now, God has called us for specific reasons. But ultimately, is into a relationship with God. And that relationship, interestingly, does not end with us. That relationship does not end with we come into God and then it's done. No. The relationship actually begins with us. Because it's for us to come in and to be able to show others the way to the Father. And at times, there are some people, of course there are some people who do not know Jesus. But you probably might just be the only Jesus they will ever see. So it's how you carry on the gospel of Jesus Christ to them that determines if they are going to find a relationship with God. Or not. So my question for you is, how do you do your part? Is your gospel compelling enough? Now thinking about the word compel. And I looked at the dictionary just to equip myself with some tools this morning. And the word compel means to evoke interest. Attention or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. And it also means inspiring conviction. It also means not to be or not able to be resisted, overwhelming. And there are some other synonyms of of that word compel. 
It means captivating, gripping, engrossing, transfixing, mesmerizing, hypnotic, mesmeric, absorbing, fascinating, thrilling, irresistible, addictive, whatever, you just name it. But it's just as good as that. When you carry the word of God, when you share your testimony as a child of God, is it compelling? Is it irresistible? Is it believable? Is it interesting? You can never share a story you're not passionate about. Oh, well, let, let me rephrase that. You can share it, but not so many people will believe you. Because passion drives us from the inside. But if you tell a story from the place of, let me just do it to tick the box, no one hears it. It's just words. You see, we've been called for a purpose. And our purpose is not just to come to God, be a Christian, and that ends it. No, we've been called to be able to bring others to God. And Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And every time he spoke, he was always talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And, and the question is, why was he always talking about the kingdom of God? Why? If it wasn't important, why was he talking about it? You know, more than 50% of his messages that he preached, actually all of it was about the kingdom of God. And all the parables that he talked about was about the kingdom of God. And one of them I'd like us to look at this morning. You know, he was talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And one scripture that gets me all the time is, he was telling his disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were, it were not so, I would have told you. And that statement gets me all the time. In other words, he had the opportunity to lie to me. But he didn't take it. He had the opportunity to tell me something that is not true. But he, he didn't take it. Instead, he just told me how it was. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I'm talking to those people who are just, just a little bit, even if, if it's just a little bit, interested in knowing about the kingdom of God and what he expects of you. So, is your message compelling? John 3.16, every one of us know that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is compelling. That's good news. God loves the world. God loves the world. He could have said, well, God loved the world. He sent his only son that whoever does not believe in him will die. Could have said it that way. But do you know it actually means that? Whoever do not, does not believe in him does not belong to him. And if you don't belong to him, you have no future. That's exactly what it means. On the contrary. But instead of bringing the bad news to you, he decided to bring a compelling good news. Whoever believes in him should not perish. In other words, there's something in store for those who believe in Jesus. All right, let's go to the parable of Jesus. Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to quickly read from verse 16. 
For those of you who still remember to bring your Bibles to church, that's fantastic. And for those who don't bring, I think you're relying on your phone. The day your battery will die, I wonder what you're going to do. Your battery is already dead. <laughs> Great. I like it. And someone is saying, use Samsung. Nope. Probably iPhone. <laughs> All right. So Mark, or rather Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus replied, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Come. Everything is now ready. It's just like some of you today had been invited by uh, the Ohehens family because it's their, you know, daughter's uh, dedication. And some of you came. And probably not, uh, probably you invited more people. And some hadn't. And we'll probably see some of the reasons why they had not come. All right. 17 again. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. How many of us are familiar with that word, excuses? Thank you. Thank you, Craig. I love you too. All right. But they all began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I've just bought a land. And I must go and see it. You know, the real estate guys just called me this morning. I'm going to see it. Sorry, I can't come. Probably when you have another baby. He already has two. And counting. And he added, please excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. I've just bought a new car. I'm picking it up today and I'm going to try it out. So sorry, I can't come. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. We're going on honeymoon. <laughs> so I can't come. How many of us think all those excuses are valid excuses? Oh, not for the first one. Yeah. But you see, your circumstances and your situation determines which one is more important to you. But all those excuses, to be honest, are valid excuses. But there's something that God expects more of us. Because he knows he has given us capacity beyond our excuses. And at times excuses is uh, a reflection of your priority. True? It's a reflection of our priorities. How do we set our priorities? Which one is more important? Is Sosa's baby's uh, dedication is as important as you going to try out your new car. Which one is more important? And the problem might not even be one of these three excuses. It could be something even more. 
They've asked us to come to, to class today. For some reason, there's a replacement class. Or my supervisor has called me to come in for work. You see, we've got excuses. But if you had something that is more important than that excuse, you, you leave that alone and go. But Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, a man had called, you know, prepared a banquet, a dinner. And has pre-invited people to come. In fact, he thought about it. How much per head these days in dinner? 50 bucks, 75 bucks, right, per head. So he's already prepared and sent invitation out. Come on, guys, we, we've made preparation for you. Are you going to come? And probably before that day, they said, yep, we will. And then on that day, RSVP. Nope, sorry. And it's very common in our world when we say, sorry, I can't make it. Sorry, God, I don't have the word to speak. Sorry, God, I can't talk to my neighbor. Sorry, God, uh, you know, I have no idea what the Bible even talks about. Sorry, God, I don't know enough of the scriptures to be able to talk to someone about Jesus. Sorry. You know, we have all valid excuses. Sorry, I can't remember the last time I read my Bible. But you know that's an excuse. You know that's an excuse. Because who knows, who says actually that if you pull out a scripture, you will be able to interpret it the way the Holy Spirit wants it anyway. But your testimony, your life's testimony is sufficient to get someone else to believe in God if it is compelling enough. Is it interesting? Say, but my story is not interesting. No, make it interesting. Make it interesting. Are you passionate? Do you even believe your story? If you told someone else, would they believe you? Now, let's keep going. 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Became upset. Of course I will be. And all that is servant. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. So in other words, before this time, the blind, the crippled, the lame weren't invited. But now, he thought, you know what? Leave the posh people alone. Get those ones who have not even been considered at all. And I'll tell you the context of this scripture and also tell you the implication of it. Now first, the word of God was first sent to the Jews, the Israelites. They are the original custodians of God's word. And so many prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiah, they talked about how they refused, they rejected God. And so many times, you know, they were taken captive and God kept redeeming them. 
And even in Isaiah chapter 1, it says, if your sin, is, what's your problem? Is, it, is this sin that's your problem? Oh, if it's sin that's your problem, even if it's as red as crimson, I will, I will change it. I will change your condition. If that's what is holding you back, I will change it. So come, let's reason together. So he even called them. Let's reason together. Let's have a chat about this. You keep running from me. What's your problem? You're feeling guilty? It's okay. Let's talk about it. What did you think you did? Adam, where are you? I'm hiding. I'm naked. Who told you? Because the way God perceives us is not the way we perceive ourselves. It's completely different how we see ourselves and then we put that perception on God and think that's exactly how he sees us. No, that's not how he sees us. He sees us much more better than we contemplate ourselves. But then when they didn't get it, when they didn't take the invitation, when the Israelite refused a number of times, God said, just get anyone. Get the blind, the, blind, the crippled, anyone. Get the Gentiles, you know, in the, in the eyes of, uh, of the relationship that we used to have back with God, who were the ones that were uninvited, who were the, the ones that were cast out, the Gentiles, those who weren't the Jews, those who weren't Israelites by nature, were the Gentiles. And by the reason of being a Gentile, you were completely alienated for the, from the commonwealth of promise. I wish I can make that clear enough. just like something is happening somewhere and then all of a sudden the Australian government heard there are some Australian citizens involved. Well, what do you think they would do first? They'll send rescuers out. Number one, to get the Australian citizens first. And if they are still nice enough, they can get others too. But it's not their responsibility to get those who are non-Australians. But it's their responsibility to get the Australians out first. True? And others can come along if they wish. So back to the scripture. The master told the servant, okay, then go. Get the crippled. Get the, the blind and the lame. Get them. Go quickly. But the part that gets me also is verse 22. Where the servant told the master, Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. What you've asked us to do has already been, already been done. In other words, we preempted you. We thought about what you're going to ask us to do, so we did it already, but there's still room. The house is not full yet. Oh, and what did the master say? Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes. Please follow me here. Go out to the road and country lanes and compel them to come. He said, but we've already done everything you've asked us to do. He said, there's something that you've not done. You've not compelled them. Probably your invitation was not exciting. Probably how you packaged your invitation, the way you, you told them about it, was out of threat. What did you add to the invitation that made people feel like, well, I'd better not go? Probably you didn't even believe in your own story. 
But what did the master say? He said, go out to the country lane. Who said they have not been there? Because he said, master, whatever you've asked us to do, we've already done. But the master said, go out to the country lanes and compel them to come in. And the reason for all of this is so that my house will be full. And don't forget this parable was a parable of Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, God wants his kingdom to be populated. And he wants us to do that. He wants us to do that. So my question to you is, how do you go about bringing the good news? How do you go about telling others about the, the good news of Jesus Christ? How do you go about that? Do you believe it? Do you believe it's actually good news? Or do you tell people, no, if you don't repent, you're dead? What, what do you tell them? See, you're a sinner. You know you're a sinner, but God, Jesus needs you. The person already knows. It's just like my child has already done something terrible, and then he comes. He's coming to me, or rather I'm going out to him. What do you think? Of what benefit is this for me to start telling him what he's done wrong again when he knows he's already guilty? Of what benefit? Just to re-traumatize him, isn't it? Don't take the part of the devil. Don't be the accuser. Bring, be the bringer of good news. Are you still here? Be the bringer of good news. Let your life and your light, Jesus said, Matthew 7, so shine before men that they may see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But not only glorify your Father, how about them coming along to see your light? How do, how do you bring the good news? How do you bring the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, you cannot make it, pardon me if I use the word, you cannot make it better than it is. I was going to say you cannot make it gooder than it is. You can't make it any better than it is. If you think you're going to make it better, it's just because you don't know how good it is. Let's check it out. How good is this good news of Jesus Christ? The first one is that the good news is meant to give hope. If the news that you're passing on to others is not giving hope, then think about it. Do you know God's good news? Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ? It needs to give hope. It needs to give hope. Where people are, you know, getting discouraged, it's meant to bring hope back into their lives. Does your good news inspire hope? Number two, does it inspire faith? Does it? Does it inspire faith to believe? Does it offer freedom? Do you know the gospel of Jesus is not meant to enslave, but to set free? 
So what do you mean? It's not meant to enslave you. So why you were yet seen as Christ died for you? He knew you were already sinners. But all you need to do, your role, your responsibility in the whole picture of salvation is just to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But it's not meant to enslave you and tie you down with all the do nots and thou shalt's. And I love Jesus when he was asked, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you want to hear the biggest one? Get ready. So they sat down, they were waiting. Okay, so what's the biggest commandment, the greatest commandment? Something that we have to follow. And they thought he was going to pull one big one out of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus went straight for it. And went, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. So, oh, okay. What does that mean? Oh, well, that's easy. And then Jesus said, hold on. There's a second one, and it's just like the first one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. All right. Love your neighbor. But do you know, the second, you cannot do the second one. You cannot do the first one without the second one. You can't do the, first, the second one without the... I'm missing the drop, right? You cannot do the first one without the second one. You cannot love God without loving your neighbors. You can't come to church and go, Lord, I worship you, and yet the neighbor behind you, you really hit them terribly. And don't forget, that was the same neighbor that Jesus died for that you were hating on. You can love God and say, I hate my neighbor, I hate my brother. That's what John said, First John. He said, you cannot love God and hate your brother. He said, if you do that, you are lying. You're a liar. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. You're lying. So for you to be able to go, well, Jesus, receive my worship. Hey, look inside first and go, Where's that neighbor? Because when you love your neighbor, it's halfway through loving God. It's because you cannot love God whom you've not seen and hate your brother or your sister who you see. How possible is that? Number four. The good news is meant to be free. It does not only just offer freedom, it is also meant to be free. Jesus said, freely have you received, freely give. And the goodness of Jesus includes everything that Jesus died for, which is loving you, which is praying for you, which is healing you. And you know, as a child of God, as a child of God, you don't need to be a pastor, you don't need to be a pope. As a child of God, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You know that? You don't have to have been a child of God for 20 years, 20 years experience. No, it's not unemployment. As a child of God, you can lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. You can pray about anything and it will be done for you. Don't make it a business. It's free. At the point where you're making a business, you lose everything. 
It's free. It's free. Say to someone, it's free. Offer freedom freely. Right. Because it already came at a cost. Don't make other people pay for it. It's free. Let's go through Ephesians just before I close. Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to to share with us some of the qualities of the goodness of Jesus and what they are. Is that okay? The qualities of the goodness of Jesus and what they are. Because when you get to believe this with all your heart, it will not be difficult for you to get the people in. Because, Because Jesus, or rather the master, according to the story, the parable of Jesus, he said, I want my house to be full. I want the kingdom of God to be full. And I'm not just talking about the Transit Church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. There's so many people. Actually, it's increasing how many, how people are making, how do I put it? What's the best way to put this? Okay. It's increasing how many non-Christians that we're having in this country. You know that? It's increasing. One person might be a Christian today and tomorrow they aren't. You know what? I don't blame them. I blame those ones who are carrying the good news. Because the good news is not good enough. They ought to know what this good news is about. What is this good news? Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. That's the first part of the good news. Who has blessed us? Blessed us with what? Blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So everything that we ever need to live a sound and healthy spiritual life, he's blessed us with it. You see how we today are thinking about, okay, the people on spiritual journey, you know, every time I meet with someone, I say, I'm on a spiritual journey of, of self-discovery. I'm thinking, great, that's, that sounds like a good thing. So how are you doing that? I said, yeah, there's this new age thing. Okay. I know one new age one. The scripture. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Second Corinthians 5 verse 17. That's a new age one, don't you think so? But not in that sense of new age. Because you're looking for another way that compels you to act in a certain way. To get a certain result. Whatever you look for, you'll find, you know. You'll find, especially when you're looking for it on YouTube. You will find. True? Or when you Google it, you will find. You want a lie that sounds like truth, you will find. You'll find. But be careful how you look for the truth. The most, um, the biggest authority in, in, in his day, Pontius Pilate, stood before Jesus and was completely mesmerized by Jesus. And in Jesus' own state of conviction, 
and he was beaten already. He was arrested. He's been without food for overnight. And he was standing there and he looked at Jesus and said, they say you are the king of the Jews. Are you? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. I said, okay, so that means you're a king. Okay, all right. And then he asked about the truth. and said, what's the truth? What's the truth? But if you realize that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There's no one without the other. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one comes to God except by me. But there are so many ways you could pretend to come to God. But do you get God? Or do you get nothing? So he said, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. I love this part. For he chose us. Can I ask you to go home? You know, if you don't have a Bible, just Google it. Google this particular scripture, you find it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 14. You will like it. Read it in so many translations. The more translations you read it in, I think the more you understand it. But hopefully you can get it today. So for God chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be what? Holy and blameless. He chose us. Let's think about you for a minute. And let's only just take the last 48 hours, what you've done. Compare it with your own scale of holiness. Did you pass? On a scale of 1 to 10, what you've done for the last 48 hours, I'm not saying 48 years of your life, for the last 48 hours, only two days, what you've done, the thoughts that have come through your head, all of those interesting things that you've been thinking, all right, let's compare it to your own scale of holiness. Zero to ten. Ten being you're perfect. And zero being you've not even started. Don't tell me. Just tell yourself inside. Can you measure it? Okay. How many of us are more than five? You're ten. You're 10. You're 10. I love it. Where's your 10 coming from? From Christ Jesus. It comes from no one but from Christ Jesus. But if it's not from Christ Jesus, how many do you think you wear? How about minus one? It's true. Oh, think about it. Jesus, they said, what, what can we do? What can we do? And Jesus said, Hmm. Do you know it's not the things that 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 um that comes into a man that makes a man polluted? It's actually the, the idea, the thought that comes out of man that actually pollutes you, that makes you unholy. So, for example, do you know if you, as guys, right? I'm not quite sure how ladies think, but as guys, if you just think about a girl at all and lusts after them in your heart. He said you've already committed adultery or fornication or whatever you call it. Can you see the standard? That standard would out of this world. But however, 
in Ephesians chapter 1, he's telling us that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Even before you came on the scene to what? To be what? Talk to me. To be what? To be blameless and, and holy. So in other words, he chose you to be. And it's not what you do, it's what you are. It's not what you try to become, it's what you are already because he chose you. He chose you. So don't try to be by trying to do all things that makes you feel like I'm holy. That's your feeling. Regardless of how much you do, your righteousness is filthy before God. You know that. No matter how much you try to keep yourself sane, you always fail. It's not because I'm praying that. It's because that's what it is. It will always be that way because you're humans. But it put upon you to be holy and blameless in the sight of God. That sounds like good news to me. Does that sound like good news to you? That you don't even have to try, but you belong to him anyway. You don't have to try. And it says in verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, say the next one, which he has freely Given us. Did you get it? It's free. He has freely given us. He has not called you to work for it. He has not called you to fast for it. You see, some people go, I want to fast so that God can hear me. No, God does not hear you through fasting. Can I say it again? I hope I've not just ruined your religion. God does not hear you through fasting. You hear God through fasting because fasting is a way of you disciplining yourself to focus on God because you're too busy. You're still here. Isaiah 55 and 56. He talked about, he said, this, the kind of fast that I want it's not about you doing 40 days and 40 nights. He said, no, 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 no. It's you losing the band of wickedness. It's you being able to be generous to others. He says, that's the kind of fasting that I accept. Can you see that he's not calling you into a life of you have to do this for you to be this? No, he's giving you freedom by his grace. The next verse actually talked about the lavishing of grace. He lavished us with his grace. What does it mean to lavish? More than you ever require. More than you ever need. Abundantly. Overflowing. Gave you grace. That no matter how terrible you are, he still accepts you anyway. Because the first way you came to him was not by yourself. That was through the sacrifice of another. And I'm saying this to you so that you can carry this good news to others. Say, but is it that easy? Are you sure it's easy? Okay. How difficult should it be? How difficult? How difficult? He said, but you know, as a Christian, you have to have to do what? Tell me again. How have to do what? I thought Jesus did everything. Once for all. You know, he wants you to understand the truth. 
that is not about yourself. And at the end of the day, all he wants you to do is love God the way you are, just as you are, without one plea, come to God that way, just as you are. For example, let's say for example, and I'm ending with this. I think I'm already over, right? Am I? Oh, just one minute. I like it. All right. For example, this is a very simple analogy. People come to, people go to work with a particular attire. They go to party with a different attire, and they come to church with a different attire. Perception, right? Mindset, right? Okay. Question, just imagine in your mind, can people come to church with, a, with their party clothes? With their club clothes, I mean. Any answer? Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Help me here. All right. How many of you think people can come to church, you know, the way they went to club? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And how many of, of course, so the rest of us feel they shouldn't, right? Fantastic. Those who think they shouldn't knew that. You can't come to, to church in your party clothes. Probably because they think God is not at the club. Probably because they think when you're coming to church, that's only where God is. So you have to dress nicely. To respect God and honor God. And I say this, that God is everywhere. And when you honor God, even you, if you're going to the club, you wear decent clothing. Because the club does not have a particular kind of clothing you have to wear there. It is your choice. True? Do you know you can win people to Christ? If you are a clubber, I don't support going to club. I don't at all. I've never been. But if you are a clubber, do you know you can carry this goodness of Jesus to club? And if you cannot carry this goodness of Jesus to club, you are not supposed to be there either. Are you still here? So where you cannot share the good news, you shouldn't be there. Where your light cannot shine, you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't trim down your light because you're walking into a particular situation or circumstance or environment. You shouldn't trim down your light. You shouldn't turn off your light for a moment while I'm in the club. Let them know that I'm a Christian. You're still here. You see, how is God's good news? That through conviction by the Holy Spirit, it helps you to live a good life. So I do say that just the way you came to church, you can go to the club that way. Amen. Yes. Go on. But if I ask the same question, how many of you think you will be accepted to come into the clubhouse with the way you came to church? Almost everyone will say yes. How about the other way? Because it's about you. It's about you. Don't compartmentalize God. Don't compartmentalize him. Let the Holy Spirit flow through your life. When you understand the will and the purpose of God for your life, that he loves you, he wants you just the way you are, you will not compartmentalize him. You, don't, you will not say, God, you know what, whilst I'm in the club, just close your eyes, just assume I'm not here. 
No, you can't say that. David knew that. David tried that before. He said, regardless of where I hide, you are there. He said, if I hide in the darkness, the darkness is like, it's like light to you. If I hide right under the earth, in other words, in the grave, he said, there your hand will get me. He gets you anytime. So can I say to you, carry the good news. First, believe the good news. Second, carry it to others. Carry it to others. And don't go to club this weekend. All right. Interestingly, the day that, you know, people normally will go to clubs, I, I hear that they go to clubs on Fridays. We're having a service here. So come dressed up for our club. It's a good club. All right. In Jesus' name. Amen. This club is free. You don't have to pay in. There's no bouncer at the door. No one will harass you. And you can stay here for as long as you want. And this club... You know what? When you come to this club, you can drive. For there are some clubs you can't drive because you're drunk. In this club, you can be drunk in the Holy Spirit and yet you can drive. Their breathalyzers cannot detect the Holy Spirit. You know that? No. They can do it ten times. Amen. Carry the goodness of Jesus to others. How compelling is your good news? You see, the people that you can reach out to is as a result of how you perceive God's good news. It is good. It should not condemn. It only condemns the world that does not know him. But for you, it's an assurance, it's a hope, it's liberating and it's free. It's free. Give it to others. Say, well, I've not been to church before. I have no idea what to expect. Just come. Just come. We're a family. We don't eat people. Just come. They say, well, I'm not quite sure. They say church is, you know, is on the news. That church, you know, all these sexual things. Uh, well, our church, no. But just come. Because if you find something wrong, you, you, if you look for something wrong, you always find. But what perception do you always have? Do you always come in with? Come to God the way you are. Don't try to be someone else. Be yourself in Jesus' name. Can we stand on our feet? Hallelujah. But today I want to go give us, uh, for some of us who probably have not known Jesus, and, and I've just told you the good news of Jesus, that he's not, he's not always looking out for what you've done wrong or how, you know, how difficult it's going to be for you to be a Christian. No, it's as easy as, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, come into my life. It's as easy as that. And it's not just saying it, it's believing it, actually. So I want to give you the opportunity, if you've not known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the opportunity. He's expecting you. He does not expect you to be clean first before you can accept him. He said, but I'm really terrible. No, he likes terrible people. He does, right? He does. Jesus said, you know, he's not come for the, 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 the nice posh ones. But he's come for those who are lost. He's come for those. Those who are healed do not need to go to the hospital. It's those who are sick that goes to the hospital. The church is a hospital for everyone. For everyone. So if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or you've been far away from him, it's your opportunity. And probably you come to church every time, but you've never heard the gospel preached.
preach this way. It's your opportunity to say, God, I give you my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. All eyes closed, every head bow. If you want to use this opportunity to, to say, God, I'm coming back. Oh, I accept you. This is your opportunity. And if you are that person, just lift your hand and you put it back down. Just to indicate, yes, I'm the one. I'm the one. And we'll all pray together with you. And the most important thing is that he loves you. He chose you right from the foundation of the world. He chose you right from creation. He chose you. So it's not a coincidence that you're here. It's by design. Thank you. Let's just together pray. Father, can you pray together with me? Father, thank you for your word. I accept you and your word. Understanding that Jesus Christ died for me. For me to have a new relationship with God. So today, come into my life, Jesus. Be my Lord and my Savior. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for those who are rededicating their lives to you today and for those who for the very first time in their life has given their life to you. Holy Spirit, come into them. Help them to start to see you the way you are. Help them to understand and accept the free gift of grace, of righteousness, of hope, of the works that you've done. And from today onward, cause them to see the new way that you've called them to live. Because all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I speak healing upon their bodies if they're sick. I speak healing upon their minds. I thank you because freely you've given us. Freely we give. We'll praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Fantastic. Praise God. The message you've heard was produced by the Trans Edge Church, and we hope it has inspired you. For more information, please visit our website, www.thetransedge.com, or you may contact us by email to frontdesk at thetransedge.com